Hello, and welcome back to the stories that brought you here. It's the podcast dedicated to the stories of the people from Pender Island, British Columbia. Once again, I'm your host, Chris Wakaluk, and I will be sitting down in one-on-one hour-long conversations with current Pender Island residents to hear the stories that brought them to this vibrant little island we live on, and to also hear the stories that brought them to the point that they're at in their lives right now. Today, I will be speaking with Shelley Saracanis. Now, if you know Shelly like I know Shelly, then you'll know her as the woman you see walking around the island all over the place, everywhere. It's kind of amazing. And every time I see Shelly, it gets me inspired to get out there walking because it looks like she's having a great time and seems like super healthy thing to do. Anyway, we're going to get to hear Shelly talk about that a little bit and also a lot of other things, including the significant impact the death of her brother had on her life in a positive way. Shelly talks about the synchronicities in the two different houses that she and her husband Pete have purchased since they've been on the island. And also Shelly talks about her work as a massage therapist, as well as the work she did when she first came to the island, and that was being an end-of-life caregiver. Pretty amazing stuff. I really want to thank Shelly for her openness and sharing that she gave in this interview. I thought it was pretty amazing. And after you listen to this, I think you'll understand why. So, without further ado, here is my interview with Shelley Saracanis. Shelley, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you. Thanks. Yeah, good to be here. We were here on a beautiful uh, Saturday morning, a sunny but chilly Saturday morning, and uh, you walked over here. Yes, I did. Yes. Just to clear my head, as usual, I'm known for walking around on the island quite a bit. Yeah, you are. Definitely. Yes. Definitely. Yes. I, I think we're going to talk about that a little bit because <laughs> I, I, I love seeing you walking on the island. Yeah. I just, you know, I always have that need to maybe break down the hill a little bit more so when the next people that are walking behind me can be a little bit flatter for them. Wow. Yeah. So one day, I guess my legend will be, there goes Shelley's Hills all the way down to Flatland. I'm going to be busy working on that for the rest of my life. That's that's, uh, that's such an interesting way to perceive it, is yes. breaking down the hills for other people. Yes. That's amazing. Seriously, that's cool. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's get into the first traditional question that we always touch on on this podcast. And that is, of course, what brought you to Pender Island? Well, we always wanted, my husband and I always wanted to move to one of the Gulf Islands. And at first, we uh, looked probably in the 1980s back onto Salt Spring Island. And that's where we always thought we were going to end up. We always talked about it, but we never moved ahead with it because we found an old house in Victoria that uh, came up for sale and it was in dire need of renovating. So we sort of looked at that as the project instead of moving. And then once the kids have grown up, of course, we could have um, we could move to the island again. Okay. Well, like, tell me about the first time being on the island, for instance. Well, the first time uh, we came over to Pender, actually, Pete had a job over here. So he phoned and he says to me, boy, you better get over here because it's just like Salt Spring was. And that was the reason why we didn't end up moving to Salt Spring. It was just a little bit too busy. And then so he says, it's just like the way it was when we used to come over there with the kids. So I can remember pulling up into Otter Bay and looking at the Otter Bay sign and going, holy cow, this feels like I'm coming home. And when he was there to greet me, everything seemed really familiar, like all the roads everywhere, everywhere where we drove. I said, let's go up here. It would be everything I ever expected. And I, I remember one, at one point, we just thought, well, let's just drive around and see what kind of houses are up for sale. And we were going into the Magic Lake area. And we were sort of exploring with that. And we were coming down privateers at that time. And there was a, uh, a tennis court across the road from this one house. And it was this log house. And I said to Pete, Pull in here. And that was the parking lot of the tennis courts. And I says, we're going to buy that house across the road. And then Pete says, what? And I says, that's the house. We're going to buy that house across the road. And so he says, well, I don't, I don't know. Like, And there was these two people that were sitting at a picnic table and they had some kids. And it turned out to be Dave Danano's sister, which we didn't know at the time. But they were sitting at the picnic table and Pete goes, do you live here? And they said, yes. And they said, do you, would you happen to know who lives across the road? And they said, well, we do. And he goes, ooh, would you sell that house? And they said, no, 
We don't own it. We're just renting it. But as soon as we move down to LA, it's going to be up for sale. And so we kind of looked at each other and got excited and uh, said, okay. So we asked if we could have the people's phone number and they gave it to us. At one point, we turned around and we started going back down towards Medicine Beach and this lady waved to us and Pete said, let's turn around and follow her. Maybe she knows something about that house. So we turned around because she was heading down towards the Medicine Beach liquor store and we followed her down there and parked right beside her. And when we got out, we said to her, just asked her if she was a local and she said yes. And she goes, actually, I'm a real estate agent. Hello. Yeah. And it was Sherry Boyd. Ah. So Pete goes, oh, do you know anything about this house on privateers? And she goes, well, I can look into it for you if you like. And so that's how we got to get in contact with her. And that's how she worked with us to get that house was um, actually it was interesting because I went to school. I didn't recognize her. I went to school with her when I was in um, middle school. And we didn't even connect about that until later on after we sold our first house on privateers. When we finally looked at each other, go, wow, hey, we know each other. Wow, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 She always remembers. She goes, I always remember you as living on the hill that you must have had lots of money. So every time I say to people, hey, how's it life on the hill? Have you got lots of money? <laughs> people go, what are you talking about? I go, well, there's this, this one person that perceives it that way. That's funny. Okay, so like it was after you sold the first house that you you and uh, Sherry, who for people who don't know, Sherry has been uh, a real estate agent on this island for a long time. Long time, yeah, yeah. But sorry, what year was this in? Two thousand and two was when we purchased the house. Okay. Yes, and then two years after that, that's when we put it up for sale because I ended up having uh, was diagnosed with breast cancer. So, you know, I didn't want to leave Pete with a responsibility. And especially if we've only been over here for two years, I was afraid that, you know, uh, it could get a little lonely and he might have the, um, if I didn't make it, that he would probably need to go back to town where our kids were. And so actually Sherry Boyd was the one that got us a place on Hooson Road. And that place was my big healing time. You know, it was uh, 30 acres at that point, And we just got this stay in this great piece of property. And, it, you know, I just really felt like I got recharged up. And I, and I knew if we didn't take that place and we went back to Victoria because I was ill, I wouldn't make it. So I really needed that piece of property just sort of to help me uh, find my peace and also to heal. Wow. So intuitively, you felt as if that uh, that was super... Very strongly. Very strongly. Like that... That whole area there is pretty magical of Hope Bay. I mean, Magic Lake is pretty uh, magical as as well. But I mean, like Hope Bay, there's something about it. I can't even put my words on. It's a cold place to live, but it's also cold because I think it makes you look inside yourself. So you have to you have to look at it as a metaphorical side of it. That when you enter a place of where it's it's cold, you got to keep yourself a little bit warmer, and to keep yourself a little bit warmer, you got to dive into yourself a little bit more, and that that's where I think I really started blossoming with um, where I am today, with uh, with what I do and who I see and people I work on. Wow. Well, it's kind of remarkable to hear that. And I think that for people listening, there's a lot of people who have dealt with cancer either mm-hmm. personally or peripherally in their life, right? But, you know, just to hear you say the words that you're already kind of planning for what would happen if you were to pass away because of that, that's really heavy. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people face that. But I don't know if you want to talk about that more right now a little bit, but the, the idea that you needed to be in a particular location mm-hmm. for healing. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That's Huge. so what happened exactly in terms of being in that uh, location in terms of like the, uh, the quietness and tranquility and and being right on the ocean and no distractions. I found, you know, as sad as it was leaving privateers, privateers just got us there. That's all it was. And then for my self growth and for Pete's self growth, it really, I think, took Hooson Road. It really was. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
So during that time, there was a ton of self-growth that happened. Can you put some words into, uh, you know, what, uh, what took place and what's taking well, place I after think, that? I think, you know, where we were before, there was, like I said, so much distractions, even the traffic, right? You couldn't, it felt like we weren't, um, things weren't going as what we thought it was. We weren't out as much. A perfect example was, you know, with the two year that was up of living there, we put the house up for sale and I can remember going to the Legion and this is how much we didn't really get out there in the uh, community. <laughs> so we were at the Legion and we're at the meat draw and Pete and I were sitting together and there was some people right behind us and we heard this. Did you hear about Peter and Shelly? And of course, you know, our ears perk up a bit and we start leaning into their voices. And then we heard, yeah, their marriage is dissolving. So that's why they got their house up for sale. And I thought, that's very interesting. Like, that's not even the story. Oh, my gosh. So I turned around and I says, oh, I just heard about Pete and Shelley. And they said, yes, isn't that sad? That's what usually happens to people that when they first come here, they think they can make it. And you know what? A lot of times they don't. And so, it's, unfortunately, it's a, a divorce sale. Well, then I just went, oh, God. I says, well, I'm, I just need to tell you something. I'm Shelly, and that's Peter, and and we're not getting a divorce, and this is not a divorce sale. I don't know where you got your information from. And they said, we got it from a real estate agent. And I went, so I'm not going to mention the name of the real estate agent, but I went, well, I guess. So I did approach this real estate agent, and I said to him, why would you say something like that? And he goes, hey, if it sells the house, it sells the house. Oh, I my went, gosh. I went, yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. I get it. Yeah. Wow. And so that way I felt like, oh my God, you know, like we've been here for two years and nobody even knows who we are or like, you know, we're we're the gossip now. That was just crazy. So going down to Hope Bay, I don't know, it just things just started rolling. Like Pete started really getting lots of work and actually he was the one that helped uh there was a group of guys that got together and rebuilt Hope Bay. Oh, he was part of that. He was part of that. Okay. Mm -hmm. As I had Brent Marsden in here a few episodes ago talking oh, about it. And, yes. Uh, yes. It, it was huge. It was huge for those guys to do it. It was a real commitment and they did it out of real love. I, I think that was Pete's probably most exciting time on Pender Island in, in the early years. Okay. For sure. For sure. It was it was most exciting because he was contributing to a uh, like a project for a real cause. Like we always used to just go down near Hope Bay and just think, too bad nothing's being done about it because as once it was burnt down, right? And I can remember always seeing these toilets sitting outside, and I thought, what an odd thing that was left from this burn is these toilets, and that was the only thing that survived that burn. And I sort of saw the place getting built up around those. toilets. It's, but I mean, it was pretty cool how uh, there was a group of them. I mean, Alex Fraser and Pete and, and the chorus, Brent Mars, and, and a whole slew of other people that joined in and just brought it as a community gathering and became a real community uh, gathering place since as well. It's never left its um, voice or anything or what it was. Yeah. Um, just want to get into what happened after so obviously with the the breast cancer that you had things worked out fine it sounds like it did so you know you always give yourself the five year and so the five years were coming up and at that time uh hope Bay was finished and pete was working with dave danano and he's he was working on a lot of pretty nice projects and i was actually down at poets at that time and feeling pretty good about you know, pretty solid about our financial future as well as our our future. And I said to Pete, well, it's it's time for us to start relooking at another place to uh, buy. It took a long time. It took a long time this time to get it. I didn't want it to be like, this is the house we're going to get. Let's get it. And uh, I wanted to be there for the rest of my life. There were certain things that I was looking for this time. I really felt like I needed the garden again, so it needed soil. I needed the sun. On Houston, even though it was a beautiful piece of property, you had to walk. Like, the driveway was almost a quarter mile long. So you had to walk up the driveway to get the real sun because we were right on the water. So I needed sun. 
I needed that cold back then to withdraw within myself, you know, to, you know, to get that warmth going about myself. You know, like when, when we go into the dark part of the winter months, we just kind of come into ourselves and find ourselves in that cold, dark place. I felt like I was finished with that now. I felt like I, I needed that sun again, that things were lifting. Okay, so you found the uh, the new house. It took a little while to find the new house. It took quite a while. Actually, uh, a real estate agent back then was um, Mr. Jameson. And he actually, kind of at the last resort, I think he was just rolling his eyes every time he went to one place. I'm going, no, not quite there. There's a rock. Right? I just can't put a plant on that rock. So he took us to this place and he, he warned us. He says, you know what? He says... This place needs a lot of tender, loving care. He says, but you know what, Peter, I could see the potential that uh, you can you can really boost it back up to life again. And I think you'll be able to see it as well. Soon as I walked in that gate and down the pathway, it was so overgrown. That's all there was with blackberry bushes. And it had a sense it was alive at one time. And then the life stopped. So... I was kind of kicking away a little bit of the blackberry bushes and found all this black rich soil. I thought, holy cow, like this thing's worth a million bucks to me with just the soil alone. Yeah. You know, you can't get a piece of soil on this. Uh, this rock. Rock. Yeah. And that. So uh, we started going up to the front area and of the house. And all of a sudden, I just felt like. All right, this is it. Like this is the one. I've got started getting excited like that other one on privateers. And I said to Pete, Yeah, I think this is gonna be it. I mean, we didn't even really look through much of it. We just kinda of looked at each other and kinda of knew that was that was gonna be it. And then Pete kinda of looked at me going, That better be it. I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> so um yeah, it was pretty cool. Like we just felt right away, even though we knew it needed a lot of work. And we wanted to put our own selves into it this time, too. The other one that we bought didn't need any work at all. It was just move in, don't do anything. And I found that a little um, boring after a while. I wanted to put my own mark on it. So as we were starting the renovations, we already knew the house was sunk by three inches on one side of the house. So as Pete was looking in to see... Because of the lifting, he needed more to see on the structure side of it. He went in and looked to see who originally built that house. And the funny thing, the people that originally built that house built the house on privateers. So they only built two houses on the whole island, and it turned up out that we bought both those houses. Yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah. So wait, have you met these people? or No, never met them. Wow. Never met them. They ended up moving up island, uh, I think, to Parksville. But they were very, very uh, well looked up to in the community. Very much so. Okay. Yeah, they were a long time. Uh, they were on the island for a long time. They were in their uh, older years as they moved up island. It's an amazing coincidence, right? To be yeah. tied to that couple energetically. <laughs> It was just an excitement. So I'm sure that's how they felt, too, when they first found, you know, this these two lots that they were going to build their uh, life on, right? So it was pretty cool. You don't hear about that very often. And, and we were so adamant to get this place, too. Like, we really, really wanted it. Yeah. Second time around. Beautiful synchronicity. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Well, to move into, you mentioned the kind of work that you do, and you are a massage therapist? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. I just wanted to make sure that it, uh, that was correct about that because I received a massage or two from you yeah. uh, over the years. But uh, and anyway, I, I just wanted to uh, hear you talk about that a little bit because from my personal experience of uh, being worked on by you, I think that you are a true healer. And uh, every time I've seen you, I've been so hurting beforehand and hurting afterwards as well, yeah, too, because yeah. you really worked me over. But yeah. man, I, I first of all, thank you for the amazing work you do on me and uh, a bunch of other people on the island. And uh, maybe we can talk a bit about your career as a massage therapist. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'd, I love talking about it. Well, I'll tell you what, this is a funny story of how I uh, got into massage school. I was in a transition in my life in Victoria that I didn't know what I wanted to do. The kids were older and I was, you know, able to go into the workforce a lot, a um, lot more hours in the day now. So, but I, I worked at White Spot for 25 years and I thought, okay, 
what did did me in with that place? And it was a great place to work. I mean, really, I raised the kids on white spot hours and that. So I was serving this woman and she had a little child with her. And she says to her child, they ordered the pirate pack and a meal. And she says to her little girl, that woman gave me my first pirate pack. And I just went, oh, my God, how long have I been here? It was almost like I woke up. I just thought, holy cow, am I always going to be remembered for the woman with gave the first pirate pack to the family? So I left that job and I went to Value Village and I because I was still not sure what I wanted to do. And saw nothing coming down the road for myself. And I, it was a menial job. I mean, it was a great job. I did have a lot of fun. It was good people. And I was uh, busy putting these coats away on the rack. And when this older man, he was, no, oh, he must have been about five feet tall, maybe a little bit shorter than that. And he was on the opposite side of the coat rack than me. And he was looking through coats. And he looked up and he saw me and he stopped and he shook his finger at me. And he says to me, you should be a massage therapist. And I went, huh? And he says, yeah. He says, you should be a massage therapist. And I went, okay. And I thought, meh, whoops, massage therapist. Okay, whatever. So I, you know, I did the rest of the day. A few days later, I start walking through the Bay Center. I had to cut through to go somewhere else. And there he was. He was there reading tarot cards. And I thought, interesting. I didn't go see him or anything. I just thought, well, that's interesting. He must know something I don't know. So then I went home and I decided, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just make a phone call. So I made a phone call to the massage school. And I said, I was just wondering if um, I could apply to become a student. They said, yes. And I said, um, and I asked them, you know, how about how to do it. And they took, they gave me all the information I need to know. And I said, well, I would like to start as soon as I can. And that was, I think, in August that I approached them. And they said, oh, they said, well, it's all full. I mean, you'll have to wait till January before the next session starts. They said, but we'll put you on the waiting list. If that works, you'll be getting in earlier. So I kind of left it on the back burner. I went, okay, that's not going to happen. But, you know, I, I knew I had to do it at that split moment because something probably would come along and divert me from doing that because things were always happening around me that, you know, I would start going down a pathway and then I have to get diverted because of some issues that were happening within the family during that time. So then they phoned me up and they said, we have a spot. I said, woo, okay, so I was in. So I started massage school, and then my brother got very, very sick with cancer. And unfortunately, it was a very short, intense relationship with him. It was only four months since uh, the diagnosis that he was to leave this world. And um, so I was still starting school. I was still dealing with my brother. And right, I think it was January, when he was right in hospice, he says to me, and he grabbed me and he says, do what you have to do. He says, do not back out from anything. He says, if you don't do it today, you'll never do it tomorrow. So whatever you wanted to do, you make sure you get it done. And that freaked me out. And so that's when we kind of thought about moving to the Gulf Islands again. That's kind of how it sent us going. Wow. Mm -hmm. um, what was your brother's name? Tony. Tony. Yeah. Okay. Was he older or younger? Uh, he was older. He was only two years older than me. And so, and, and like I said, it was a very intense, wonderful relationship with him at the end of his life. I mean, I was so proud to be his sister and I'm so proud of him how he went through it. And for him to say that and open up to me and say, make sure you do whatever you want to do and don't stop yourself from doing it. Don't even think twice from doing it. That really shook me up like that. Really. I still use that to this day. I really do. That's great. And shook you up in such a positive way to mm -hmm. have somebody just give you the affirmation to follow your dreams. Right? Yes. Yes. He sure did. Like I just got to thank him over again all the time. I can remember one time um, I was walking to uh, my school and this was 
just the day that um, I knew he was very, very ill and coming to the very end. And right after school, I was going to go up to the hospice and, and be with him. And it was started snowing. And I said to him in my head, oh, look, Tony, it's snowing. And all of a sudden I heard, I hate fucking snow. And I knew that was him. I just knew it, right? So then I just went, oh, my God, there's something up. So I got to school, and they said, your brother just passed. So then I just ran up there and, and stayed with him for the last couple of hours of his, to me, of his life. Even though he was gone, I was watching how death was slowly, slowly creeping in. And it was very interesting because I thought, Man, if anybody, it would be my brother that would allow me to do that. And I was just staying with him for about two hours. You know, they weren't pushing me to get out of the room. I just really wanted to know, when does a person really, really leave this world? Like, how much longer do they hang on for? And it took about two hours. Wow, really? Mm -hmm. Wow. From the time they pronounced it to the time I felt like he was really, really gone. And during that whole time, you know, I was opening up his mouth and looking in there like, okay, what's that look like? And just because I really wanted to see what the body and the body to be like in the stages of death. And that really helped me get through the massage school too, because I really, I really wanted to understand life on the cellular side of it and the muscles, everything. So that's why I really, really studied him at the end. And I really thanked him for um, not thinking I was crazy. And I knew, you know, I'm sure the nurses were wondering what I was doing in there for two hours with him, but I really had to study him, I thought, to really understand the muscles and the massage. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Did you have this um, thought before this happened? That no, as soon as I saw him and he was gone, you know, I just thought, wow, okay, like, and it wasn't even like, it didn't even feel creepy or anything. It just felt like a sense of curiosity. And he was allowing me to see through and get some answers on how the real human body is all the way up till death and past what we call death. I don't think they even, at that point when they pronounce you, I, I truly don't believe that's, that's it yet. I, there's still a process after that. That's really beautiful stuff, Shelley, that mm -hmm. uh, you it sounds like your brother gave you permission in a way. He sure did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And permission to act instinctively and just to follow through on doing what you need to do in order to have a uh, fulfilling life. And yeah. that's really that's really beautiful because I think that sometimes in our lives that there's things that we want to do or want to follow through on, but yes. like we're fearful of, oh, well, this is going to look weird yes. or what are people going to think? And I yes. think that that sounds like an incredibly yes. uh, poignant moment in your life, those two hours. Yeah. And, you know, it felt right when it was finished. Like it felt like, okay, you know, like I understand a little bit more about it right down into the cells of the human, right? Like, like how we're, our souls are so saturated right into our cells, it takes a while for that to leave. It's not like, bing, they're gone. It's very, very cool. And that's what kind of brought me, when we moved to Pender, how I came to the end of life care. Because Pote's still wasn't built at that point, and I was waiting for that spa to you know, start up and be open. I already graduated from massage school at that point. So, but there was, you know, there was nothing over for me over here for me to do yet. So I kind of went into the end of life care thinking, you know, um, Hey, I just got a better understanding of it. I think I've got the compassion certainly of how somebody would feel if they're going through cancer and really, really wanted to work with people in that area and help them to leave this world too in a more, in a more comfortable state, I'd, I'd say that. Okay, mm -hmm. excellent. Yeah, I know we've talked about this a couple times while I've been on the massage table, and you told me about the work that you've done with helping people with end-of-life care. But maybe if you want to talk a little bit more about that and uh, perhaps share a couple stories as to how meaningful that was of an experience in your life that you uh, got to do that with people on uh, Pender, anything you want to speak to about that right now? Yeah. Well, actually it was very interesting. There was a group of us women that were all at the end of life care and everybody that I met through there, like all, all the people that were needing the care at that point, 
were so interesting. Like, holy, they all had stories to tell. They've all been here forever. I mean, most of them were in their 80s and 90s. So they were ready to go. So they were ready with the stories. It wasn't, it wasn't like in Victoria when I was visiting the hospice. They were more medicated in hospice than they do staying at home. That's what the first thing I noticed was the less medication was being used. There was um, not as much anxiety about leaving this world, and especially with other family members. They were more open. They were more open to questions. It was just a different atmosphere. There was no such thing. And another thing that got to me was there was no such thing as visiting hours. There just wasn't. They, they could be there 24-7. It doesn't matter. I found that very um, discouraging when I was in Victoria with my brother, of course, because it was visiting hours. And, you know, you're not ready to go when they say, okay, I think you should leave now. Visiting hours is over. And, you know, and you're thinking, oh, my God, what happens if he goes in the middle of the night and I can't say goodbye? So there was less on both sides stress, for sure, anxiety, way more acceptance of dying. Little kids are also involved, right? Like they were right there with grandma, the dog. It just felt right. And for me, to, that was a great closure. I, I really needed that because I just felt like with Tony, I didn't get to have that last moments with him. I missed out on that. Instead, my last moments was kind of watching him, even though it was a lot more private, watching him leave in the lingering state, I think. Okay. And so doing that work with people on Pender Island who are at the end of their life and helping them through that process, to me, that seems like that would take a lot of emotional energy. Is that correct? Um, yeah. Okay. Well, the emotional energy was not so much uh, draining as it was empowering. Like, holy, when somebody left this world, that was the first thing... I you know when you see in those um, books where you where people are getting taken up into the spaceship and they got this big funnel of uh, light coming from their chest and they're just like floating up into the spaceship? That's how it feels when somebody leaves this world. It feels like that gets kicked into your heart and you feel like almost like the Incredible Hulk and you can rip off your clothing and you're running down the road just going, Rah! like you feel so alive. Wow. It's so powerful. Like it's, it wasn't grieving or anything like that for me because I wasn't involved in that part of it. Of course, I was sad to see the person go, but instead they, they almost gave me a gift of this power and I just had to use it. And a lot of times I would just say, okay, I just need to go out for a little bit of a walk after, and then I would leave the family with that, you know, whoever just was deceased, right? But yeah, like it was just so powerful and it was addicting, very addicting because I was beginning to look for it all the time. Wow, really? Mm -hmm. Because it felt so good. It felt so good. It felt like I run a marathon. It's just, you had, you got charged up. It was a charge that came through you. It's, I can't even explain it. I can remember one time, this is one, my last client that I ever worked on, which was, you know, to me, a very symbolic one too, because there was, uh, six of us women that did the end of life care and all four of us at the same time was diagnosed with breast cancer. No way. Yeah. Wow. All four at the same time. Wow. And uh, two of us survived and two didn't. And one of the women, her name was Shirley Waters. Anyways, what a lovely woman. Holy cow. So anyways, she was an amazing end of life care worker and she wanted me to be there for her end of life. And so I was so honored. Like that, that was my last client. I couldn't even, I couldn't even do another person after that because that was it. I knew that was done and then it was time to transition into Poets Cove. But that was probably the most amazing experience I've ever been through. Through helping your fellow yes. end-of-life care worker, yeah. helping her through her end-of-life. Her end-of-life. And just just being up there till the, her last breath, it was just what an incredible woman. And what a great story. They, they're the ones that started the inn on Pender Island. Oh. So, you know, they had a lot of people that came through their life. And, you know, a lot of people popped by and said how important they were to Pender Island. They were really amazing people. And for me to help that woman come to the end was just, you know, I, 
give her a medal because she was amazing. Thank you for sharing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We spoke earlier and I told you about seeing a gentleman speak the couple nights ago in Victoria yes. called Stephen Jenkinson. Yes. And he talks a lot about dying and the process leading up to it. And he wrote a book called Die Wise, which I'm lending you after yeah. this interview. Yeah. And uh, I find it to be a more and more fascinating topic because it's something that's not discussed yes. very much at all. Mm-hmm. It's something that it seems like we sweep away and don't really want to deal with at all. But it's a really fascinating topic. You never saw that on Pender ever working with these people. Ever. Like, that was the thing that blew me away from the hospice in Victoria. Not saying that it's a bad place. I mean, it's a great place. They work really hard. But it's so different here. It's just so relaxing and empowering. And you just know things are are so much better on the other side. Like, you just get this feeling. There's no anxiety. There's no fear. It's just acceptance and happiness and celebration and... And just the stories and the connecting and it, it's just an amazing, you know, I recommend people to do it if they can to try and stay as long as they can on Pender and really, you know, go through the process of reconnecting with your family and friends on a very spiritual level and just staying really close. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. One last question about that, that from your perspective, do you think that because of this specific geographical location that we exist on, that it helps to increase the possibility of that through your experience? Or is it because we're on an island or or is it just because we're in a small community? What- we're in a small community. And, you know, the nurses here are incredible. Like the whole clinic, their involvement, they, they've got everything here for you. I mean, they make it so comfortable. You know, even at one point, this fellow couldn't even get up to have a bath anymore. Well, they brought in this blow-up bath, and they just kind of slipped it underneath him and blew it up, and we poured water in there, and he could still have a bath while still being bedridden. It was just, it's just an amazing amount of resources that we have over here for if anybody ever has to go, you know, on that route of end of life. Okay. Mm-hmm. You talk about uh, after that uh, phase of your life, making the transition mm-hmm. to working at uh, Poets Cove, which is the beautiful resort on the South Island, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> which I happen to work at too. Yeah, but uh, anyway, so you moved into doing massage therapy there. And, yes, I did. And then also privately as well too? As privately as well. So what happened was once I was, uh, Shirley Waters was, I knew that was the last person I was going to uh, work with because that's when I was diagnosed with breast cancer at the same time too. So I kind of transitioned out of that said goodbye. That was a great way to end it. I mean, helping your fellow worker and then for yourself to start healing and stuff like that. And then about, oh, a few months after my treatments, I started feeling a little bit stronger again. And I felt like I was ready to go down to Poets and now start utilizing what I learned. I mean, I went to the school for this and paid some money to do it, right? So I thought well, I better just jump into the fire and do it. And when I first went down there, I was not hired right away. And now that I look back, I guess I wasn't really ready anyways. I mean, I was just finishing up my treatments. I still was really tired. But I thought, you know, I didn't want to stay at home and and be with myself anymore. I felt like I was finished, but I guess I wasn't. I was forced into staying back a bit more. And then a few months later, Trish McKinnon, that used to run the uh, spa down there, phoned me and says, um, you know, come on down, we're ready for you. And that's how I started was down at Poets was I was hired through Trish McKinnon. And um, I mean, I love Poets. I love walking to work every day and just getting my head together and being down there. And of course, the people that come through there are always interested. Now they have stories too. I mean, it's unbelievable the stories that come on each table because they all have a, they all tell me stuff it's interesting i'll tell you something when you start massaging a person it always starts off a little chitty chatty it never never starts off quiet it does end up quiet sometimes if they want it to be you just know when to pick that up but a lot of times they chitty chatty because they hold everything in their muscles so when you start touching that muscle, that starts bringing back all the memories of why that muscle is sore. And then we start going into a little bit deeper. Okay, is that an emotional soreness or is that actual soreness from being overused, right? And most of the time, 
you will find that it's an emotional soreness that started a long time before it even manifests into a muscle soreness. A lot of people hold all their fears, all their anxieties, all their, um, say you're seven years old and you fell off a bike and you went running home and you didn't want anybody to see you and you're like crying and, and you just run in the house and you, you hide for a, a little bit. That stays with you for the rest of your life because you, you never dealt with what happened to you. You know, you never said, boy, that really, really hurt. Or, you know, I think I really did something to myself. They're so ready to brush it off. So when you start touching that area, they said, yeah, you know, this has really been bugging me lately. I go, this is not lately. Like this has been in for a long time. You can tell from a muscle what's been sitting in there for a long time. It only gets aggravated because something comes up again and makes it go through that again. It's just repeating itself all the time. And then they'll say, oh, yeah, okay, so something did happen to me when I was really young. And as soon as they got into a situation that brought that time period back, I should say, like, say, eh, seven years old, you fell off that bike, and it was a neighbor bully that pushed you off the bike or whatever. Then you're going through something in life, and you're feeling like that bully has come back. Well, that comes back like it does. So really, we have to talk about letting that bully at the seven-year-old go before the 40-year-old one can go. So I guess your advice is actually, what, what is your advice to people like opening it up and or going back into your past and looking at things that hurt yes. you in the past? Uh, yes. Like, but, you know, it's very hard to do it. It's almost like you have to go through a process with somebody once you start touching their muscles, right? Like, you know, of course, it's always the very outer layer that's talking to you but let's go and let's go take off those layers by layers and see where it's really really coming from stemming from and then you can start working that out and then the layers start peeling back off the opposite way so first of all you want to take it down and then you want to bring it back up so the last layer is the seven-year-old layer it sounds like there's a lot of emotional healing that's going yes. on. Yes, there is. Within the massages. Yes. So yeah. that's why I get most of the work I do is not a quiet one. I've hardly, I don't think I've ever really come across a very quiet uh, massage. It's lovely. I like to have more of those sometimes. Because <laughs> <laughs> my, my, my mind goes kind of busy. <laughs> but, but it also feel I love it when I can actually help somebody out with the emotional part of it, too, that's been sitting in there for a long time. It's time to free that, just like you want to free a sore muscle, right? There's no point in hanging on to it. And I say that a lot to my clients. No point in hanging on to that. Let's work that one out. What, did you pick up on this during massage school, or was it after school was over and you started working on people that you started uh, to recognize? Well, these? I started actually earlier in life. Before massage school, I would... If I touched people, especially their feet, I could kind of, it'd be like a TV uh, screen in front of me. And things would flash across the TV screen, and I would start seeing things. I always called them readings. I'm not saying that it's a, it's a psychic thing. It's just, it's like connection to that person, and I can kind of see what they've been going through and, and kind of give them guidance of where they can go with it. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, it's it's been like that since probably probably since the nineties. I remember, maybe even before that. I used to have some incidents. It's always had sort of incidences all my life going down that road. But you know, as I got older, it was a lot easier to do. Okay, mm -hmm. I, I actually took a uh, foot reflexology course a few years ago, which we've talked about a little bit. And mm -hmm. uh, I think it's remarkable the healing that can potentially take place from touching people's feet. Yes, it's all connected to the rest of the body. But yes. uh, what you're saying is that you're able to tap into some visuals, yes, or or even guiding like of, of emotions, emotions too, like past emotions, right? So say. Um, this person's kind of stuck and they never really grew, um, then you kind of see, uh, okay, perfect example would be uh, one time I was, I was in school and I was working on this girl's foot. And then I said to her, oh, I says, you know, you, um, 
I could see you in your grandparents' uh, yard. They have a little bit of acreage. And you're in the yard and you're bearing a, a letter. I don't know what's, what's that. But your grandma's on the porch and she's calling your name. You have to hurry up and bury this letter. So and so I said, but I see all these apple trees and blossoms around you. And then she just kind of piked up. And I says, oh. And I says, the gray kitten is in that letter. And she says, you're absolutely right. She goes, I was so mad that day at my grandparents. I had to write it down, but I didn't want my grandma to know how mad I was at her because uh, I really did love her. And it was because of this gray kitten that I wasn't allowed to bring home. And so she goes, so I wrote it out what I thought and I hate, didn't like her. And uh, I thought she was the meanest lady in the world. And then I buried it in her yard. <laughs> and, I, and I saw that. And that was, I think, the first time I've ever really, and it was, I was adamant. I remember thinking, if I don't say this, I'm going to go nuts. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so how how do you think that situation carried forward uh, from, from there for that woman, from hearing that information? Well, she started crying because she goes, you know, I still get upset about that. She goes, I was so mad at my grandma about that great kitten. So, um, you know, she's carried that for the rest of her life. It's so bizarre. And... And she was a very anxious person, I remember, in the massage school. She was always anxious. And I wondered if that was the, how that became, that's who it made her in the end. Like, was that the tipping point for her anxiousness? Or did it start before that? But it, that was a huge part of it. I always felt that. That's, yeah, super fascinating, Shelley. I've I spent a significant, let's say, amount of my time in the past, just living in isolation and going back through my past stories and really yes. confronting them. And uh, I found it to be a super healing experience for me personally. I felt as if going back into your past and looking at the things that affected you adversely really helped me move forward in life. Yes. But I, I don't think that cycle should stop. I think that it's something we need to continually do oh, through absolutely. our lives. But I'm so appreciative of you uh, speaking about these things because I think that they're very, very important. Yeah. You know, and, and this... You know, some a realization I came to a while ago for myself is that the next time I suffer a serious physical hurt, I really need to cry yes. in the moment yes. and, and not hold it in. Yes. Because I think what you're talking about, like what I'm relating to that is that uh, holding that energy and that hurt in the moment and not releasing it in a moment yes. will lead to you know further it pain and trauma down the road. Starts manifesting off into your muscles. Yeah. You know, if we don't start talking about it and being okay with what we go through, and you're allowed to be mad, you're not allowed to be angry, you're allowed to be sad or fearful. We're allowed to show all these emotions, right? That's what makes us a human being. Yeah. Right? I mean, we're so lucky that we can do it. Animals can't do it. You know, they can show happiness, they can show sadness, but they can't show questioning or anything else, right? Like... We're gifted. We get to do all this stuff. And why can't we show it? Like, why do we have to bottle it up? And that's what I mean. Sometimes it manifests. Like, I notice if people are going through a real time of grieving, and it could be grieving for um, the sense of grieving means just a sense of loss, right? So they could feel like, oh, man, you know, like, I'm not happy with myself right now. I don't know who I am. Their shoulders so rolled in. I'm always, you know, working right on the pectoral areas, you know, just to open them up. So they're able to show themselves or present themselves to people and, and open themselves up emotionally. Like they have to, they have to stay open. You cannot close yourself off or lower back even into the hip. It's all about the nurturing, right? If your sense of nurturing is, is lost, that's when people start thinking, oh, you know, my hip's gone or lower back on that pelvic area or the groin gets tight. So it all starts showing off. And it's not, it just shows you over and over again what people come through and I work on that it's true. That's what it does to the human body. If you shut it down, it shows up. Yeah, physical manifestation yeah. of uh, what's going on inside you. Yes. That's why I always, always feel the need to talk to people and say, you know, okay, what's going on? This has been here for a bit or, yeah. Yeah. 
Wonderful. Um, well, let's let's slip into the traditional second question that we always get to on this podcast. It sounds like that you've uh, given a lot of help to people on this island. And the second question I always like to ask people is who has helped you along the way on Pender Island? And uh, who has helped you along the way on Pender Island, Shelley? <laughs> well, I tell you what, all the people that have passed on has helped me. That's for sure. I mean, all those people, all their stories I listened to really, really helped me to see things differently. And of course, everybody that's come into my life so far has really helped me in every aspect. I mean, there's so many people, so many important people in my life right now. I really do feel full. Like I just got, um, you know, when the season ends down at Poets, I've just been really trying to be here, there, everywhere, because it's time for me to reconnect with all those people again and thank them and be part of feel like I'm part of the community. When you do go down to Poets, it is a different world. You do get pulled away from the community. And I always find this the most recharging time for me so I can get back down there and be in the more isolation of side of the island. And it's not because it's self-pender. It's because we do disappear for five, six months out of the year and don't emerge till the fall again. Yeah. And you're going to celebrate a little bit tonight, you said, right? Yeah. 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 Just to go see people. I just been so busy just catching up with people and doing things. And I mean, like even today I get to come to the podcast and, and I still feel like I haven't finished, you know, I still got lots ahead of me for the next three months. My gosh, like... And self-discovery, I, I need to, of course, be on my, on my uh, self-discovery. I might try some new things down the road. Who knows? That might be in the works. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, just to tie up that question a little bit. So you would say that uh, the people who have helped you along the way that stand out the most are, are some of the people who have passed. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. I mean, people will always step in my life and show me and present themselves to me and show me, you know, the path that I'm heading down and always help me on that path. But the people that have passed are always the ones that really came in, changed it quickly and left. Like, really, that's how they've done it. They've just came in like the Tasmanian devil and it was like a roaring craziness. And then they left and that kind of let me spinning onto the right path. Yeah. But the people that I see now, of course, that's a longer path. These ones that came into my life when they're leaving this world is short. So that's why it's like the Tasmanian devil. I look at that, right? But uh, the people that I know now, of course, that's the longer road. All right. Yeah. Where were you born, Shelley? Victoria. Victoria. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so maybe if you want to talk about your parents a little bit, I'm curious about uh, <laughs> Papa and Mama... Well, my mom and dad, of course, were, um, well, I, I came from a family that my mom was bipolar. And so that's probably why I'm very sensitive to emotions. And that's the thing I was diagnosed with is that I'm hypersensitive to emotions in a room. So as soon as I come in a room and it's very hard for me to go, like tonight I'm going to go to a big do and that's going to be very hard for me. I have to really pump myself up to go and say, I'm going to do it. And it's, I've been saying that for the last few days because there will be a lot of people in the room and there'll be a lot of different emotions. So right away, I'm going to go into that protective mode and I have to learn how to get out of that. Instead of looking to see where the safe part of the room is, I have to just kind of be okay with, because it's okay for all these emotions to come right at you, right? So that's what it was kind of like growing up in my childhood in Victoria. I lived in a very rural area. Um, I mean, they were very loving parents. But, of course, uh, my mom's bipolarism, you, you didn't know what was going to be from day to day or minute to minute of her mood swings, right? So it was challenging. Sure made me who I am today, that's for sure. And my dad was lovely. He was, he was like the John Wayne or Jimmy Stewart, right? He was just... Man, a few words, but what he said was very gentle and very kind, and I really looked up to him. He taught me a lot. If you ever come to my yard, you'll see all those rock walls. Well, as we got into trouble, he always punished us by making us make this little rock wall about probably about two feet high and about six feet long, and we would spend all day making this rock wall as a punishment, and then at the very end, go, okay, Dad, come on, look at the rock wall. And then he'd come out and he'd 
he'd be rolling a cigarette and licking it. And then you go, yeah, well, time for you to take that all down. Oh, no. <laughs> and you go, oh, I just spent all day doing it. And he goes, you just take it all down now. And that was pretty cool because really, I think that was his way he looked at life. Like nothing is solid. You know, things change all the time, right? And don't expect whatever you do is the way it's going to be. It changes. That's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. 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 He's pretty cool. He was a pretty cool guy. He was a very quiet, quiet guy though. Yeah. 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 My mom was very, my mom was only four foot 10. She had a big presence. Oh boy. When she came in the room, holy cow, you knew she was in the room. She was just that kind of person. Yeah. That's find that really fascinating about yeah. building a wall just to take it down. Yeah. Just to take it down. I know. And then so uh, when I was about 15 years old, uh, I couldn't handle being at home anymore. My mom was, um, not doing well with keeping tabs on her um, emotions, right? So uh, I found a safe spot to go to, and that was the pool hall in Victoria. And I went up to this uh, fellow at the pool hall, and I said, uh, oh, hi, John. And Pete looked at me and said, I'm not John, I'm his brother. And that's how I met Pete. So we've been together for now, let's see, 43 years. Whoa. I met him in a pool hall and I thought he was somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, wait, where was this pool hall in Victoria? On Broad Street. Okay. Yeah. Right downtown. Yeah, right downtown. I skipped out of school. <laughs> <laughs> and I went up to this guy and I thought it was John. I was so embarrassed. I didn't know what to say after that. Yeah. Yeah. Will you marry me? I yeah, guess, yeah. Uh, no, it was either plan or A or plan B. <laughs> Pete approached me one day and he goes, I have a plan. I says, and we're just friends. And I says, I says, oh, yeah. And he goes, yeah. And I says, uh, and he was a very safe guy to be around. Like, he, we were really good friends. He was really good for me because, you know, of course, there was craziness in my household, right? So, you know, his place was very safe. Everybody was very quiet and and uh, nobody just burst out screeching or slamming doors or anything like that. So one day he says to me, I have this plan. And I says, oh, okay, what plan? He goes, well, I don't know if you want to hear it. And I go, yeah, I want to hear it. And I thought it was a plan to go get back at my sister because my sister used to come over and visit all the time and she was being a bit of a pest, right? And he goes, okay. And I says, so what's plan A? And he goes, plan A, you go out with me. I said, oh, okay. I said, what's plan B? And he goes, that you go out with me. <laughs> I said, okay, I guess it'll be plan A because you thought of that one first. <laughs> Persuasive. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's how we got to know each other. Yeah. And 43 years later, uh, I guess tomorrow there's a special day in your life as well too? Yes, yes. Our granddaughter was born a year ago. And so we're going to go in there and celebrate. And um, I hear there's more grandkids on the way too. Some Another set is uh, starting out to try for once. So... Here we go. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we're reaching the end of our time coming up here, but I just wanted to uh, throw it out to you if there's anything else that you wanted to uh, talk about or mention at the uh, the end of the podcast that uh, you think people should hear about. Oh, um, you know, when you feel like if the soreness comes up and presents itself, really, really go deep down and see... And just close your eyes and see where it really, really does come from. I mean, I know we all pull and strain and stuff, but what what made it vulnerable at that time? And when you start looking at that, then you I think you start you start breaking down all that soreness and uh, tightness. It, just really, really, really do that for yourself. Not that I don't want your business. <laughs> <laughs> but do just like really start seeing where it's really coming from and write it down, write it down, start writing down why you ache so much there and then maybe even bury it. I think that was the best thing that kid ever did. She was so angry. She didn't want to hang on to it to her grandmother, right? She just didn't want to hang on. So she wrote it down and she buried it. So think about that. Lovely profound yeah. advice. Yeah. Thank you, Shelley. Yeah. Thanks for coming in. Oh, it's great. It was fun. <laughs> awesome. I could talk to you for hours. I know, I know. <laughs> it's easy. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. All Thanks, right. Chris. <laughs> oh.
All right. Well, to honor Shelly and to honor that great interview, I decided I'd go for a walk down Hoosan Road. Hoosan Road is located on the North Island, kind of the middle portion of the island, except on the east side. The road runs, I'd say, about two kilometers long. And at first it heads towards the east and then it turns back down towards the south. And it ends in a really beautiful cul-de-sac, which I'm actually standing in right now, which is the entrance to Mount Menzies Park. The second half of the road to get here is lined with cedar and fir and some arbutus and some maple leaves that have changed their color and been dropping their leaves, seeing as it's fall. There's a chill in the air and a little bit of fog and mistiness, and it feels like the season's turning even more today. And it is a really beautiful isolated road. There's the odd driveway dotting the road on either side. But other than that, it's just a lot of trees and salal. And I'd like to thank Shelley again for that amazing interview. It was really a pleasure to do. And I'd like to thank you for listening. It really means a lot that people tune in and listen to these podcasts. And if you enjoy it and you see me out and about, please let me know. I'm always kind of curious who's listening. And when people tell me in person, it, it actually means a lot to me. So thank you. Until next time.